Hi, Smart Community friends. I'm back with another bonus episode of the podcast that brings together multiple guest answers to the question, where to next for smart cities and communities? And as it's self-care September, to round out the theme of health and well-being, this time we'll be sharing with you the answers from our guests this month. You'll hear from Catherine Flynn from episode 127, Monica Olslagas from episode 128, Dr. Catherine Laughlin from episode 129, Sophia Arkenstall from episode 130, and Declan Edwards from episode 132, which will be out on Monday. There are a couple of main themes in this episode. You'll hear these guests talk a lot about using data for various aspects of health and safety within our cities and the privacy implications that come from that. So how do we strike that balance between protecting individual privacy but also using data to keep people safe and well and supported when they're experiencing health and well-being challenges? And as Declan puts it, between smart citizens and happy citizens. All the guests agree that it won't be a one-size-fits-all solution for any place or any person. And in fact, there are parallels to be drawn between the way medicine is moving to a more personalized healthcare model using a mix of technological advances, greater human engagement in health practices, and the way that cities and communities need to use the technology available and also have great citizen engagement practices. And as always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live, work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Where to next for smart communities? I would love to see smart communities, I guess, getting more and more invested in the idea that mental health is really important and really relevant and something that can definitely be targeted, I guess, through the data and the information that they have. And like, I think smart communities are really exciting in what they, the possibilities that they open up for everybody because again like it's just it's shifting who who can access what and how so yeah I'm just I'm excited about the future of smart communities and I think what you touched on just now which is using the data at our fingertips to improve you know to really focus on mental health and the decisions people are making and really pulling that together in a smart way can really impact people's lives right Yes, absolutely. And I think what we're seeing is that waiting until people get to the point of actually understanding and knowing that they may have a mental health problem, it can actually be too late for a lot of people. So we really need to make it, I guess, a process that could actually get people before they're starting to even develop something. And I mean, I know that there are people uh, already working, I think, within the employment space, and they're actually they're having access to biometric data to you know, know whether or not someone has gotten up in the last couple of days and do they need to have like an online session with a therapist um, to make sure that they're okay based on the biometric data that they're receiving. So that's an interesting space. I thought that was really interesting when I found out about it. 
but yeah, and, and I guess the focus around that was support of the person and making sure that they're okay. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot that can be done and it's definitely the best way forward because what we're doing at the moment, I think the writing is on the wall and we need to, um, yeah, shift and do something innovative. Mm. And I think like there's a key argument to not do anything, which is, oh, well, that's private and that's people's personal data and that type of thing. And those things definitely need to be taken into account, but I do really feel like there's a balance. There's definitely this balance that is required and we need all the right professionals involved to make sure that we don't go over that line. But I think there's lots we can do without kind of stepping over that line. And for different people, it will mean different things as well. So it won't be a one-size-fits-all approach. So I think, yeah, there's there's lots to be done in that space without getting too carried away with worrying about what if, you know, we do nothing because there's people kind of suffering and dying every day from issues that could be prevented. That's right. That's right. And I just feel like we have so many tools at our fingertips right now because let's face it, it can be a really positive thing and we've got to start moving with it rather than kind of trying to stop it. So where to next for smart cities and communities? Oh, I really think we're only just beginning. And I really think part of that is harnessing the true potential of big data. So I have a a wish list and one that I'm working hard to make a reality. And that's that big data can come together to make our roads safer. So I hope that one day I can pick up my phone or my sat nav and it doesn't tell me the quickest way to get somewhere necessarily, but the safest way. And then I hope that that data then feeds in real time back to road authorities to say, hey, there are these crashes happening this or this is where there are any misses or any of that information going into the system in a much quicker way and then being able to respond to it in a much quicker way. So that's where I would like things to head in, in sort of the road safety space. But I really do think that where big data will go in the future, it's not entirely assured, I guess, because we've got a lot of the privacy issues also coming up in the space, but it's fascinating. It'll be really interesting. It kind of comes back to what you were talking about before with the bicycles that Beijing was able to react very quickly because the data was there to show that more bicycle lanes were needed and those and was able to act quite quickly uh, to be able to do that. So how do we actually kind of build that into the kind of more mainstream things that we're doing in this space when we've got the data there, then we can actually act more quickly so that it's actually really relevant to what's happening in real time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. And I think that's where some of the true potential of this sits. It's not just in having the devices or the technologies, but it's actually how that feedback loop comes back in again. And that can sort of Again, it's not going to be consistent all around the world. Like different road authorities and different governments and different organisations actually need to make that happen. Yeah, I agree. And I think if we aren't involved in the change, then it'll happen to us and it won't necessarily be the way that you know we want it to be. And I think also going back to like your first point, which is about who we are involving in this space. So I'm hoping where to next is that we have we kind of close that data gap and also have more women and, you know, people of um, all different abilities involved in this conversation about planning the places we work, live and play, which I'm really excited about. 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the city where everyone wants to live. It's the city where you want to live as an older person. And, and so when I'm talk, thinking about sort of these issues and thinking about where I want to raise children or where I want to like be elderly, I, I certainly don't think of those places that, or that you can't go out on the streets safely and where you can't get around without a car or where you can't walk places safely. Like it's, those are the sort of things. And it's, yeah, I mean, I use road safety as an example, but it, it is actually a much bigger problem for us to face as a whole. I mean, you want to live in a city where the air is good to breathe, that you know your children are breathing good air, like um, and where you can get access to green space. So it's it's across every level. But I, I really think, we're, we're, I think cities sometimes have focused on building tall and creative buildings, but they have really hostile street fronts or they're creating the road networks which just divide the city up and carve it up and make it very hard for anyone just wanting to walk somewhere. Or like it's even more basic than that. Sometimes it's about sunlight reaching the street or clean air, fresh air. <laughs> like and so sometimes we've got to get right back to first principles of what's, what makes a nice environment for people to live in and try and stick with that. Where to next for smart cities and communities? Well, I think we have to continue to define our practice. I think that we have to continue to be scientific about this. I think it aids to our legitimacy. I think it aids to helping people you know, sort of follow the breadcrumbs of what other people are learning and integrating them into the communities and the cities. And I think we have to keep pushing ourselves, even though sometimes these concepts are very squishy and very hard to track and very hard to necessarily define. We have to. And saying, well, we just can't is, is not going to be good enough for our own sustainability. So, getting really good at measuring what we're talking about. And I think the most important futuristic thing we should be focusing on is, is the so what. I think a lot of human science work right now, we know a lot about how it works. We know a lot about child development. We know a lot about you know how marriages thrive or not. We know a lot about economic development. But what we're just really still learning is this whole smart city, power of place model. And so I think the future of us continues to be discovery. And that to me is super exciting because we're still learning new things every single day. And as long as we're in that discovery mode, we are kind of building the plane while we're flying it. And that's okay. But it pushes us to make sure that we're always figuring out what we're learning and adding a so what to every single finding we have. What does this matter for really in, in the life of a place? So I think that we'll just cont hopefully continue down that road of building this practice into an actual science that people recognize like any other. Mm. Now, that's really interesting. I think the so what is so important because sometimes we, well, a lot of the time we just go, oh yeah, this is the thing and finish you know it's like well so what what does that actually mean what can we do i guess it's a that the first part is generally the the easier part right to write the stuff to go oh yeah this is a problem yes um you know this is happening and this is happening but then it's like well what real practical things can we actually do to change this or to make it better 
or to embrace what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for that. Cause selfishly I, I enjoy that <laughs> that's so what because I've been writing this report at the moment you know I've been traveling around and I'm um, doing all this research but a lot of my report is the so what and I've been really struggling with trying to put enough kind of that front bit in it which these are the problems but then actually really making it tangible like what's the practical things that we could be doing and None of them are super techie, right? And I'm in a super techie world. And so I'm really kind of struggling with that balance. But I think I'm nearly finished. So the reason I'm, it's out of mind is I've, um, it's 97% done now. And so I'm just really, I'm excited to put it out in the world, but I'm also terrified because it's a lot of the stuff that kind of we've been talking about, which is, well, it's not about, you know, oh, well, you need to have an autonomous shuttle bus in your town. Otherwise, well, what? We need to have diversity in decision making. We need a space to actually innovate and, you know, people to actually have the time, budget, and resources to be actually make real decisions about this. You need the community in the loop in these things. Like, so these are the things I'm talking about, which to me just seem quite obvious and, you know, has no one ever thought about this before, but I guess it's putting it into this framework that people can actually use. No, and you're so right. I can't tell you how many cities right now come to me and say, we just spent an ungodly amount of money on some kind of place branding or place marketing or something. And now we, and it it always sounds very fancy when they say it to me, because they'll say, and now we need help in retrofitting community engagement and utilization of the brand, which tells me that, you know, you did all this work, you you treated your place like a box of detergent and tried to come up with a brand that would work. And now you're trying to figure out how you can shove it down everybody's throats and you're getting pushback and they're surprised now. And so now you're going to have to pay more to try to like figure this out instead of being sort of person driven from the beginning. It's common sense and not just a checkbox. Okay, we asked people and now we're going to do what we were going to do anyway. But, you know, a real authentic engagement around these issues. And, and even from a price perspective, it's sort of like what we used to go through with the medical model where it took us forever to prove the point that prevention, as much as it might look harder and more expensive, in the end is cheaper than cure. You know, and so that's kind of, I think, where we are now and and really trying to justify a lot of these areas is not a kumbaya, you know, we're all just needing to be all together, that kind of thing, but that it's an imperative for effective community practice. It's not kumbaya at all. And, And once you screw it up, it's a lot harder to get it back on track than it is to have done it right in the first place. What's your next for smart cities and communities? It's a really interesting question. I think the answer is different for every city. And, and I think that's something that I've learned through my travels was that every city is really unique. And, and it's really important that the different priorities for each city or community dictate what is next. Every city has different priorities and different strains and the impact of population growth and an aging population is having larger impacts on some cities. We see that in some parts of Asia and and we see that here too. So I think getting some of the basics around infrastructure and mobility and health is super important in maintaining that green space. So yeah, every city is really unique and different. 
One of the cool things I saw recently was something that Bill Gates has been doing around sewage. In some parts of the world, and even in Durban in South Africa, some of the sewage isn't really connected. So he's funding people and projects to come up with cool ways in which you can treat that there and then on that site. So from a health perspective, that's amazing. Like public health is a huge win from something as simple as that. And that's using technology, but from, I guess, a different perspective in the sense that that wouldn't affect some of the cities that I've been to recently, for instance. For those cities, I think, say, Brisbane and Paris and London, for me, I'm probably thinking of more connectivity between the visitors and the citizens really easily on your phone. I think when I was in Paris recently, the heat wave was quite significant and the government and the municipality were communicating with people via an app to let them know of the places where they had like cooling zones and cooling rooms where you could sort of go and check in because a lot of places don't have aircon and yet it's 42 degrees for instance. So being able to really succinctly and efficiently communicate messages is I guess something really interesting and, and gives a lot of power and to individuals and visitors to make decisions quite quickly. Yeah, I think it's so important. But yeah, I think anything to do around health and wellness is really important. We do have an aging population. There is an unfortunate increase in non-communicable diseases, which are all about the behavior that we have from a lifestyle perspective in a way, as well as things like genetic gene predispositions. So non-communicable diseases and, and health promotion, I still think it can be smarter. So I'm not sure what that really looks like yet, but precision medicine and personalized healthcare is certainly leading the way in that individual aspect, which I think will have greater implications as well, perhaps for, for cities in ways of using data to have healthier citizens. Where to next for smart cities and communities? I think uh, in an ideological answer to this question, what I would like to say is where to next is a focus not only on how do we make resources more efficient, how do we make the city more efficient and effective. But as we spoke about really, if we're going to go full circle at the very start of this interview, also going how do we use this to make our city happier? Because I think... If we're making the city smarter at the expense of happiness and well-being, I think that's a bit of a conversation that needs to be had. Ideally, what I'd like to see is cities go, hey, we're going to make ourselves smarter and we're going to make our citizens happier. Yes, I love that. And I think the definition of the smart community, it can't be without that happiness factor. And whatever you call it, like um, I'd probably call it livability or something like that, but whatever it is, it can't be smarter if everyone's, you know, bloody miserable. Miserable afterwards, yeah. <laughs> this dystopian future where it's like, yeah, everything's really smart and technologically advanced, but everyone hates living there. Everyone hates and everyone hates it themselves and everybody else and like Black Mirror, right? Yeah. We don't want those type of futures. And the other thing is, like, you know, they are quite possible. And so we need to be involved. The people that care really need to be involved in these conversations. One, because we can be. And there's no better time to, to get involved. You know, the best time was yesterday, but 
now it's now, and then actually getting informed about the areas that we really want to see shift and move and be present in the future. And then, yeah, get involved because there's really no better time to do it. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think it reminds me of, um, what's that classic Chinese proverb? The best time to plant a tree was 100 years ago and the second best time is now. Yeah, the more people we have in this conversation, the better. So there you have it. I'm sure you picked up on those themes of balancing the privacy implications with the great opportunities there are using data for improving health and safety in communities. And of course, the need to engage citizens and create targeted approaches that fit each place. The other big theme that came through is the question of why or the concept of so what. When we're thinking about where to next for smart cities and communities, it's essential that we don't lose sight of the reasons it matters to have smarter cities and communities in the first place. As I discussed with Declan, we don't want to end up in that dystopian future, so we have to be involved today in order to be creating the places we want to live, work and play tomorrow. As Dr. Catherine Laughlin says, once you screw it up, it's a lot harder to get it back on track than it is to get it right in the first place. So let's aim to keep that in focus and work towards prevention rather than a cure. You will notice in this episode and also in previous episodes in September, I mentioned my Churchill Fellowship report, which is finally finished and you can read it at the link I'll put in the show notes. But I'll also be doing an update on the podcast very soon to detail my findings, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening to Self-Care September and we have one more episode coming your way on this theme on Monday, which I hope you will enjoy. It's with Declan Edwards. So as always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.